0: Hi, I'm Zeph Raves, Managing Director of Tesoro Resources, who are developing the exciting El Zoro Gold Project in the Atacama region of Chile. Zeph,
1: nice to meet you. That was a, a very succinct introduction. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting into uh, know a bit more about El Zoro uh, and, and Tenera and uh, your projects in Chile over the next half an hour or so.
0: Sure. Um,
1: <clears throat> Zeph, um, you're in Chile at the moment, is that right?
0: Yeah, that, that's right, Mel, um, finally got here uh, after the travel restrictions and hurdles that we had to overcome getting in and out of Australia have finally fallen down, so um, jumped on a plane as soon as we had some direct flights out of Sydney and um, spent things just spent the last week up at uh, El Zorro with our team, looking at all the, the fantastic work that they've done over the last two years without me.
1: It's always good getting back into the field, isn't it? I've, I've um... With um, my company, Salazar, I've just been up in the field for a uh, couple of weeks and just – I mean, some of the ground is quite rugged. It's quite a walk up there and quite high, um, but it's really worthwhile spending the time on the rocks with the team. You just kind of – you see so much more about what they're thinking and about uh, – and you really get a feel for the for the, for the the geology. I, um, I wonder if you found the same.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I actually spent uh, a good day and a half walking a lot of the – ground that uh, potential extensions or new deposits within our Zoro outside of the Tenere area and uh, look, I must say it's, it's looking really exciting. Our team have done a fantastic job and they're finding more of the host rocks and they've got gold mineralisation in them. Um, it's over a big distance and you know really being able to drill down onto their knowledge on specific things by spending time with them is, is certainly beneficial and um We also had a consultant on site, Dr Nick Oliver, who's been working with the company since we first got involved with the project back in 2017. Um, And and he's helping us with, I guess, our exploration model for the project. And uh, look, himself and and me and our chief geo on site, Ruben Carwana. We're pretty excited about the potential that the project's exhibiting outside of Tenera, as well as Tenera itself, obviously.
1: Good. And did Nick come in from Australia with you?
0: Uh, no, he's done a big tour for some other clients. So he's been all over the place through South America. I think he was in uh, Colombia prior to coming down here and um, he's still on site and uh he'll be heading back to australia uh, next week i think
1: good 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 but before we get into the, the the detailed geology and what you've seen in the last week um for my benefit and perhaps for viewers as well can you just uh give us kind of a summary of the last couple of years what you've delineated so far kind of the land package you know the, the kind of an abbreviated history of, of of where you've got to so far and then 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 we'll be able to look forwards.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Tesoro was listed on the ASX in uh, just over two years ago, so in February, 2020. And since that time, we've drilled um, about 100,000 metres of diamond drilling, a majority of which has gone into the Tanera deposit. Uh, we defined our maiden mineral resource estimate, uh, which was announced to the market in July last year. And uh, we've been busily working away um, We've continued drill programs focusing on growing that resource at Tenera um, in conjunction with, I suppose, district scale field mapping and sampling and so on to delineate other targets outside of Tanera. So where we are today, we've got that 100,000 odd metres of drilling. That's all being worked. I'm just waiting for assays to come in from the last few holes of, of um, the program. Um, we've just... A slight hiatus on drilling at the moment, and we're going to uh, recalculate that um, MRE, get that out into market as soon as we get the final results in, um, as well as uh, look at start to look at um, developing up drill targets in some of the other um, areas that we're, we're seeing as highly prospective, um, um, and also since since we've had had the um, been involved in the project, we've expanded the our our concession holdings from ten thousand hectares or um, ten square kilometers to five hundred and fifty square kilometers. So, um, oh, wow. I really think this is, this is a prospective new belt for for gold deposits here in Chile.
1: That's um that's a hell of a uh, a land uh, I won't say land grab but an increase in your land position that's 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 extraordinary. Um, in terms of the the first MRE that you put out in July, um, how much of the 100,000 odd metres was incorporated in, in
0: that. And
1: how, how you know, just can you put some numbers around that resource? And yeah, so- sure. So
0: that that, that resource was 660,000 ounces. Uh, that only used 145 holes. Uh, we've now drilled uh, 300 holes. So we've got almost double the amount of drilling to go back into that resource, into the new resource. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say, and as evidenced by, I think, in our last drill announcement, um, some of the best holes that we've drilled uh, into Tenera, uh, um have been done in this next lot of drilling that um, will go into this, this resource. So uh, it's quite a... Um, Look, I haven't worked with a deposit like this before. Nearly every single hole we've drilled has hit gold mineralisation of some shape or form, um, and nearly all of it is at mineable grades and widths for a, for a large open pit mine, um, and we haven't found the ends of it. So it's open in both directions, north and south, and it's open at depth. And uh, some of the you know really good high grades um, drill hits that we've had are are certainly, at depth, so it's also demonstrating potential to go underground at um, at some stage in the future. You know, obviously, with these things, you know, there's no limit on depth. You don't come to the end of your concession, so it becomes a um, quite an exciting proposition, particularly given some of the grades that we're seeing at depth.
1: What, what's the kind of average depth of your drilling to date?
0: Uh, probably most of our holes are around 300 meters. Downhole, but they drilled at a sixty degree angle, so it's around sort of two hundred and fifty vertical distance, depending on topography. Uh, so a majority of the resource that we'll report will be inside a, a pit shell. We'll go down to approximately two hundred and fifty meters below surface. Um, you know, this is a big, wide, broad ore body with multiple high grade zones in it. So um, when you put in a pit optimization, at tends to take everything, particularly with the really good met and the the um, um, what we think is going to be around the cutoff grade of 0.3. As soon as this ore touches cyanide and, and also gets through a gravity circuit, the gold just comes straight out of it very easily. So it performs superbly metallurgically, which allows you to pull the cutoff grade down and we'll just take everything. Oh so so many
1: questions. Um have you have you done petrography and um kind of you know, had had a look at it, kind of, um, and and the grain yeah, size. So, and t-
0: yeah, so we've done a lot of that sort of work. So, in terms of the technical work that's been done on the ore, there's been a lot of petrography work's been done, not only for um, ore characterization, but just for um, geological studies to help us find more. Uh, so, a lot of the gold actually resides on the outer margins of sulphide grains, um, and it looks like it tends to break along those those boundaries, and so it liberates the gold quite well. So we had some really positive metallurgical results from that, which means that um, even at low grade, so half a gram, we're still recovering 40 45% through the gravity circuit. Um, High grades, that increases a bit, but overall the the metallurgical recovery at a really really coarse grind size of 150 micron. So putting that in context, Most of the WA goldfields type deposits are, you know, grind sizes between 70 and 100 micron. So we put a lot less energy into um, getting this to a a particle size that um, recovers gold. So at 150 microns, we're recovering 94.5% of the gold in four hours cyanide leach time. So it's just phenomenal metallurgical characteristics, which, you know, opens up the world in terms of, cut off grade, um, what actually goes into that resource because um, there's a large, l- low-grade halo around each of the high-grade zones.
1: That's the next question. But the first question is um, sulphides. You said um, the, the gold is kind of on the, on the outside of the sulphides. Is that mostly pyrite or have you got a kind of an array of uh, different uh, sulphide species?
0: It's We've got quite a few different Sulfide species, but it's certainly dominated by pyrite. So, probably 90% of the sulfide minerals in the deposit of pyrite. We see some arsenopyrite in the higher grade zones, um, but the ore certainly isn't refractory in any shape or form. And there's not really enough arsenopyrite to, to be any type of problem with tailings disposal or anything, um, very low uh, amounts. And we see some pyrotite. Uh, in the deposit as well. And and that's interesting because in the deeper parts of the deposit where we've drilled these intrusives, um, that pyrotite looks like it's a a primary pyrotite. So we're actually um, sponsoring a PhD student at the moment. Um, And he's tasked with uh, some of that more academic work, if you like, to Determine what the source of sulfur is for the ore deposit, and whether it's actually come out of the primary pyrotite that's in the gabbros deeper in the intrusive system, um, amongst uh, other things, including dating of the mineralisation, dating of the host rocks, and so on, and putting it in context of all the igneous rocks in the district. You, I
1: think you've mentioned that the the host rock itself is a is a dike. Um, um, all yeah, all series a, of, series
0: a series a, of dikes, series of complex. series of dikes, yeah. 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 So they, they tend to, to form as dike swarms, if you like. So you get zones of um, intense, uh, intrusive bodies. Um, so Tenera is actually about uh, seven um, main intrusive bodies, all within a, a relatively short strike width. So you're looking at a, about a 700-metre-wide window where all those Dikes intrude and through that 700 meter wide window, um, they've been cross-cut by um, faults, which have acted as the fluid conduits and caused brittle deformation into those um, into those dike swarms and, and basically filled it full of gold mineralizing fluids. It, it it's kind of a
1: lithological feature in the sense that
0: the the the, the Yeah. yeah
1: I mean- it,
0: it is, but I mean that there's a lot of questions around the uh, the source of the gold. Um, we really, at this stage, everything, all the work that we've done, so multi-element geochemistry, and there's been some pretty um, detailed work done in that regard. Uh, and Nick Oliver has been responsible for, for some of that work um, in conjunction with petrography and so on. Um, it's got the intrusive-related gold system fingerprint all over it. And the more work that we do, the more confidence I guess we're getting that these intrusives are the source of the gold and the the brittle deformation that occurred is reactivation of, of previous fault systems that um these uh dikes have intruded into or been you know it's provided areas of weakness that these dikes have intruded into and then those faults have reactivated as those intrusives have cooled and um there's been you know, residual fluids left in, in that system that have flooded into the deformation areas and filled up full of gold mineralization. I'm trying to get my head around it. I, I, when, I, when I hear the word
1: dike, I kind of typically think of them as kind of being hyperbissal kind of extensions or distal relations to it under, you know, the, the intrusion underneath.
0: Yeah, well, we're not sure how... F- there is obviously a, a larger magma chamber at depth driving the whole system. We don't actually think we're too far away from it. And the reason for that is that uh, some of the gabbros that we see, so these dikes are fractionated. They're off a fractionated system, so we see everything from granite diorites to diorites, tonalites and gabbros, all within the same dike, really. Um, So if (laughs) if you drill down one, and so it's telescoping, it's multiple intrusive events. Um, out of the same magma chamber. The magma, mm. magma chamber's probably been replenished at some time because the, mm. the mineralogy's changed. But certainly the geochemistry tells us that they're all related um, and that's, you know, rare earth geochemistry, basically spider diagrams and all of those sorts of things. But we're, you know, reasonably confident that a large magma chamber is nearby because when we get into the gabbros, those gabros have got a... A distinctive cumulate texture so you don't get and they're coarse grained and it doesn't make sense that they're distal from okay. especially in a dike from a large magma chamber you know that they, they, those crystals are formed you know in a larger um chamber prior to be, and, being and in set, dikes. Uh,
1: and settled under gravity
0: yeah look we uh, some of the outcrop that we saw this week uh, um was actually mind-boggling there's Compositional banding in dikes that are 10 metres thick—you know—it's—it's like a full-blown cumulate system compressed into these tiny little dikes. And I've worked with ultramafic intrusions in Western Australia, up in the Pilbara region, and we saw that—we see that type of compositional um, transition in intrusions on, you know, hundred to kilometre scale type um, scenarios. But you know, it was absolutely mind-boggling. So we're trying to understand all of that. Um, Certainly some of the work the PhD student's doing is going to go to a long way to deal with that. You know, so he's doing sulfur isotope work. Um, He's doing the geochron for us as well as um, some more detailed specific petrography on on a host of all the igneous rocks. You know, another thing that we're seeing at the project that uh, we really think is a key ingredient to gold mineralisation is um, igneous diversity. So the more different types of compositional changes we're seeing in those intrusive rocks, as well as multiple big plutons in the district. Um, it seems to be, you know, one of the key ingredients to provide a fertile um, environment for gold mineralisation. Um, and then the structure becomes important to focus that into, I suppose, all bodies rather than just you know, general gold anomalies. And- Thank you. I know that we've
1: kind of been going down a little bit of a kind of an igneous petrography rabbit hole, but it's it's useful to kind of get the context for kind of the style of the system and the, and, the, and the scale of the system because effectively what you're describing is a multi-phase, well-plumbed,
0: fluid-rich system. Yeah, that's right. And look, I can pull up a map and i might just do that now, which will sort of demonstrate, I suppose, uh, what we're seeing um, yep so on this map these the, these big purple blobs are um, you know bulk granite intrusions if you like big plutons um, they're well known they're dated they're related to um, subduction zone setting type rocks and then the buff color that's the sort of the background color is the basement rocks and so the basement rocks are um, Paleozoic sediments, and they're generally the oldest rocks in Chile. So they've been thrown up in the during the subduction process off the um, seafloor, and then all these little pink dikes and dike swarms are what we call the Alzoro tonalite suite. So that's all those intrusions that I've just been talking about. So Tenere down in this area, as you can see. There is a, a blue outline, um, and the all the little black dots are all the drilling around Tonera. So is in a dike swarm. Um, that was the only known uh, El Zorro tonalite um, occurrence on the property when Tesoro became involved. And uh, some of the ground that I just walked with the geos this week is up in this area to the north here. And you'll see this big dike swarm here. That's got all the marks of... Tonera, the dikes are there. It's about a 800 kilometre wide zone with multiple dikes. There's sheeted veins in those dikes. There's obvious quartz veining, there's sulphide veining. They've been heavily altered and bleached and obliterated around the controlling structures. And they've got a number of the big controlling north-south faults through them. Um, we've got uh, low level anomalous gold through that area um, that we've previously announced. And uh, our team's working hard now to get in there and, and do some more detailed sampling and, and we'll get a drill rig up there as really as quickly as we can. We're pretty excited about that area. And when you look at this on the scale of what area, that's 1.3 kilometres. They've mapped these for over about 2.5 kilometres now. It's up to a kilometre wide in places. Then there's a little bit of a break and they've got a new area up to the northwest here, which they're just starting to see it repeat again. So... We
1: let's not talk about that. So let's save that for the <laughs> save, so save that for the future. Um what
0: altitude is this? Uh so this is a very low altitude, it's only 15 kilometers from the coast. Uh so the bottom of or the main valley down the bottom of Tanera, which um runs east-west or east northeast, uh, sorry, west northwest. Um that's at around 500 meters above sea level. The very top of the hill up the back here is around about a 1,000 metres above sea level, so you've got 500 metres of um, of elevation difference. So they're not ultra high. It's pretty rugged territory. They're quite steep hills. But, um, you know, tanera has got quite a lot of um, topography around it as well. So, you know, we just get in there with the bulldozers and the guys do their work. So, you know, one of the major advantages of working uh, in the Atacama Desert is this project's got... 80% outcrop, so um, you can really push the geology hard with good field mapping and good field observations, and that's why the more work our team's doing on these, the more excited they're getting that there's another Tenera hidden in this ground package somewhere. So we just need to do the work. Um, but look, that week, the week I've just spent with the team up there um, has certainly been. Pretty exciting from what we've seen on the ground. So, you know, we're optimistic that there's a, there's another one in there somewhere.
1: Uh, two things. While you've still got this map up here, firstly, you said that uh, the original Zorro, uh, which means fox, I think, doesn't it in Spanish? Yeah, that's right. Um, Correct. Um,
0: the original Zorro was just that Tonalized. area, yeah. just this, just this tiny little area down the bottom. Um, right.
1: Yeah, and that was a function of just lack of exploration.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think um, there was a North American company did some drilling back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. They had some reasonable results out of um, some of the drilling they did, but the holes were drilled all over the place. And to us, it looked as though it was a um, field campaign run by the geologist sitting in the office in Santiago and never actually got on site. And if you took their geology map and compared it to our geology map, you would think they were two completely different projects. So, look, I just don't think they took the time to map it and sample it properly. There has been artisanal workings on the property, um, mostly around Tanera again, uh, mining, you know, narrow late-stage quartz phones that are, you know, they're probably running, you know, given some of the that we've seen out of some of those zones up over 100 grams a time they would have been you know hand sorting and little rabbit warreny type things but those yeah. those faults are strike extensive they go for kilometers across the countryside and, and Sorry, which which, which,
1: which ones uh, in particular which orientation
0: uh so the northwest ones these ones right okay in, in particular um, we can trace those for for kilometers across the ground and wherever you see them, even in the sedimentary package, they're mineralized, So uh, they're part of that plumbing system. Um,
1: either it's interesting that
0: you're introducing gold.
1: It's interesting you've got such an orthogonal kind of relationship with the dikes to those kind of regional faults. It was kind of some stressed or kind of strain environment, very particular yeah. to the time when those dikes were in place.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a reasonably simple structural um, uh, setup. You know, you've got um, the north-south fault systems, essentially, uh, and branching northwest secondary faults. And these dikes have been in up through that both of those fault systems to give it a northeast grain, if you like. Um, we've the sigma stress field's basically being pushed down from the north and south, uh, roughly on an east northeast sort of trend, and it's just popped it all over. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, some of the, so all of our drill cores are orientated. It's all structurally logged and everything. So we have a really strong database of, of all that structural info, and, and we get quite a lot of work done on that, and that's helped sort of solve that problem. But, you know, again, honing in on... Um, an ore body is really quite structurally related, um, but you need to have those host rocks as well.
1: Now, um, before we drop this image, can you just show me, uh, you mentioned that there about 145 holes which were in the original resource, and, and you've drilled about a 300, so just over half have yet to go into the resource. Uh, th- those extra 155 holes plus or minus uh, uh, where are they are they relative uh, uh, are some of those inside of that area some of them outside yeah, a lot
0: a lot of them are inside that area there's quite a few down to the south as well down here as well and, and around the edges but there's a lot inside and it's just, just behaves so differently to any other gold deposit that i've worked on so um you know if you take an nice in goldfields, West Australian gold deposit, for example, and you take an inferred resource and, and you want to increase the, the classification up to indicated or measured, generally you lose ounces. And the reason being is that you start to get some granularity around the shape of the ore shoots down um, the structures and so on, and you find the low grade areas and it generally knocks ounces out of that resource estimate. What we're finding with this is we've, done a lot of infield drilling to increase the classification of the resource base and uh, uh, complete barren areas that were within our original resource and within that original pit shell are just getting filled up with ounces now. So it's a data density issue. That's why we're fairly optimistic there's significant growth in Tanera to come. Um, and, you know, some of that other drilling that we uh, have completed since that resource was announced with some fairly... Um, I suppose, high-risk step-outs, and we've got some pretty good hits that are, you know, 300 metres south of that pit outline and a couple hundred metres north. They won't make it into this resource. So we've got a lot of infill drilling to do there. So we can certainly see, um, you know, some pretty easy resource growth with more drilling here as well. So What
1: are your plans for this year? Where are you going to be drilling and um Targeting into talking on on resource growth, we know where, where are your priorities. Uh,
0: so we'll continue to drill and expand to Nera. um You know, I honestly do not know how big this deposit can be. Um, as I said, that is one point three kilometres long. Now uh, we've got step-out holes which could extend that to over two kilometres long fairly easily. to the northeast. Uh, to the south and to the northeast, yeah. Um, south is actually looking really good. We've hit some high grade structures in there that uh, we've hit the, the, those um, controlling north south faults in sediments and had some pretty decent um, intersections out of it. So, so I was going to
1: say, it, it looks as if the dikes um, kind of end at the granite, you know, they kind of abut the granite, but you, you're effectively saying, well, you are saying that the, the mineralization is in the um, faults in the sediments and i can see a little uh, bit of dike well, the faults, action.
0: faults are part of faults are part of that plumbing system so those north south faults uh when you're in the fertile ones they mineralize through everything regardless yeah. so uh, but the, the the you know bulk of the answers reside in the intrusions but just keeping in mind that these intrusions continue down to the south they're just buried under sediment we've drilled them um they're there and uh you know, we've sort of got this three, four hundred meter gap back to the resource that we need to infill and continue to add ounces. Still open to the south. Um, so, sitting, get you know, again, the benefit of sitting down with the geological team on site, uh, running through all that. And they've had some really good ideas that they've been tossing around as well. So, on where to go drilling down there. And um, we're pretty sure we've starting to get a handle on, on some future, future more extensions to, to grow it again. Um, but I think the most exciting thing that I want to drill now is, is some of these new targets, particularly up in these dike swarms up in the north here. I, I mean, really what we saw up there um, last week was uh, pretty exciting stuff.
1: What's the... Um, I, and I know you're in the so it's incredibly dry, but what's the alteration uh, like? Can you chip open um, a dike there and get fresh sulphide?
0: Uh, yeah, you can. Um so we the guys do that fairly regularly and that way if they are oxidized that's you know pretty mild you can still see the original sulfide grains yeah um in, ter- in terms of alteration associated with gold um, the interesting thing about this deposit is that we see gold come in from a really high temperature um so they're scarns in some places so um and they're endoscans, so these intrusions have scarned themselves, and so that's epidote, garnet, um, actinolite, associated with gold in vein sometimes. Uh, Wolastonite as well, which is a pretty typical um, intrusive related gold system-type mineral. Um, but a majority of the gold result, resides in a lower-temperature assemblage, um, which is typically uh, quartz, Pyrite veins with sericite alteration on the selvages um, and slightly higher temperature, a lot of albite um, alteration. So, that albite sericite is texturally destructive. Some of this stuff that we see is just pure alteration. It's completely obliterated the original host rock. You wouldn't even know what it was to start with um, until you do the geochem on it and it tells us that it was a tonalite. So, the interesting thing is, is that this The gold mineralisation started being introduced at pretty high temperatures. So, you know, not long after these intrusions were in place, um, they probably hadn't finished cooling and they probably weren't quite um, crystallised completely and right through to um, cool uh, mineral assemblages. So what it tells us is that it was a long-lived mineralising event, um, potentially... um, you know, remobilization late in the mm. cooling history as those faults kept being reactivated and those faults probably were activated and that baning system um, activated over a, over a long period of time.
1: Really interesting. Do you need any more tools that you've got other than the hand lens, the hammer and the, a good logical brain and a drill bit? Um, are, you, uh, are, you, are you using anything else?
0: Yeah, we're looking at doing... So I mean we're just there's a number of methods that we're looking at trialing for geophysics. And that's really going back to you know what we discussed before, having a deeper look. Is there a deeper magma chamber not far below us, which is really the I suppose the mother load, you know, is there a potential for a you know big bulk deposit off this? Because these really are, you know, peripheral dikes off a larger system. um, and we really don't know where that system is yet. So we'd like to have a deeper look. Um, you know, probably down to a K, a K and a half deep if we can, to get that, uh, you know, that crustal architecture and and have a good look at um, where these dikes are coming from and if there's any potential for something larger sitting underneath everything and and how close that might be to surface. We have used geophysics in the past, particularly um, gradient array IP. That's been useful in, I suppose, putting the structural framework in place more than anything. It doesn't directly detect all bodies yeah um for us but it certainly um, helps the structural inter because it highlights where all the faults are and um and you know overlaid with the geology mapping it it does help factor into the better parts of the system
1: and have you have you done that i mean you've expanded your land position to uh from 55,000 hectares um are you going to apply And that image you showed me, how much of that land package was that, you know, are you going to um, apply these kind of regional mapping tools, kind of the geophysics or kind of regional geochemistry, or, you know, are you going to um, just focus on that northwestern um, new swarm through geochem and mapping?
0: Um, a- initially, initially, the focus would be on that new swarm. You know, obviously we're most advanced on that. Um, we have done a little bit of regional work, which is basically looking for that igneous diversities, their potential for dikes there and so on, and a, and a little bit of remote sensing work. And we can see the alteration in the sediments caused by the intrusions going for about 25 kilometres north of Tenera. Uh So there's a lot of ground to cover in there and it's pretty rugged. So part of the, I suppose, future geophysics programs is trialling a number of these methods, which a couple of them are aerial methods. If they work, then we'd roll that out on a broader scale to help us hone in. Um, So there's a number of tools in the toolbox, if you like. But, you know, again, there's so much outcrop. It's, you know, a a field geologist's delight that they can just get in there. It's almost 3D because of the topography and, and really build up that geological picture and understand where we are. Um, but it, you know, as usual, being geologists, they uh, tend to create more questions than they answer because there's some pretty enigmatic rocks in the package. But I think that all is part of the story of why there's a um, you know intrusive related gold system in this part of the world.
1: It uh, Looks if like there's some new discoveries coming up in Chile. You know, it's not just uh, simple porphyries. I was speaking to the Marimaca guys recently, and you know, they've got an IOCG which was previously unrecognized in Chile. So um, you know congratulations for for finding a new deposit um the question i wrote down earlier that i do want to come back to um was about grade distribution around structure and um you know kind of what, what the implications are i mean you 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 said that there's kind of this low grade halo um but in that dike swarm kind of what's the background is it all at 0.35 what's your kind of you know is there internal waste
0: Yeah, there is some some internal waste. That's usually to do with um, in sediment. Generally, the tonalites uh, have got anomalous gold in them. So, you know, you get the assays back and there'll be um, above detection limit for nearly every sample for tonalite. And then as soon as you start to see a sniff of alteration, some sheeted veining and uh, that sort of stuff, then the grade starts to kick up. Um, and the geological team's got such a good handle on that now that they can almost, with the eye, tell you what the grade's going to be before they get the assays. So, and that's in the tonalite. Um, when those big structures crash through that sediment, though, no, and that's pretty easy to see. That's in, you know, some pretty good-looking quartz veins and very strong alteration brecciation, that sort of thing. Uh, that'll be mineralized as well. So. You know, you could imagine it as um, faults cross-cutting all of those rocks. When those faults hit the tonalites, the grade blows out into, you know, 100 metre wide ore zones. And in the middle of those are higher grade zones closer to the fault. Then as that fault goes through the sediments, it's generally more constrained because those faults just haven't done the damage into the sediments because they're softer. They're not as brutal. I've um, taken up the strain a bit better.
1: Okay, interesting. And where are you in terms of um, how many drill meters are you going to be doing this year? What are your milestones for the next um, kind of on a quarterly basis? What are you looking to achieve in the next kind of twelve, fifteen months? And PEAs, when do you start wrapping economics around it, or are you still trying to understand the envelope?
0: Yeah, well, a bit of both on that front. But I, I suppose that you know the immediate thing that we're working hard on is, is an updated resource estimate, which will have. Uh, Increased classification of a a lot of the deposit, uh, plus a significant expansion in that resource base, Um, and then probably off the back of that, we might start to look at um, sort of scoping study numbers and or scoping study level numbers. Um, You know, obviously internally we're fairly optimistic on having a pretty decent low cost producing open-pit mine in this part of the world. Um, I mean, it's in that region supported by so much infrastructure close to the coast and so on that it's got a lot of advantages. Uh, And then in terms of drilling, uh, the focus will be on expanding Tenera. There's some really low-hanging fruit to add more ounces into that deposit. And, you know, obviously, as I said, I'm pretty excited about some of the rocks that we're seeing elsewhere. Uh, We've got a little bit more work to do before before we pull the trigger on drilling there. But, you know, probably in about um, two months' time, we'll be ready to go. So, you know, we'll kick off drilling again, hopefully, um, towards the end of May, we're hopeful of doing that. Um, once we get some surface sample results in our hand, it can define those targets and it'll take, you know, six weeks probably to do some earthworks to get into those areas and set it up for drilling. Uh, in the meantime, we'll kick off at Tanera, continue to expand that deposit, um, and um, start preparing it for further resource upgrades. And then probably later in the year we'll make some decisions around you know, getting in there for, for, I guess, feasibility level infill and preparing first couple of years of resource for production that um, can be used for a feasibility study, which would start to get stuck into later in the year. The
1: market kind of didn't uh, reward you for your first resource. Was, it, was there kind of a, um, a misalignment on expectations of what it was going to uh, contain?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it was probably um, a little bit of that and perhaps the um, educating people around the great profile of the deposit. Um, certainly some of the holes that we drill are spectacular and they're through those um, higher-grade zones. So, you know, it's important for um, listeners to understand that there's four pretty well-defined high-grade zones in this deposit. Um, The best of them, there's two two really big, thick ones sitting in the middle of it. They're probably on average 30 metres wide at sort of 2.5 to 3.5 grams. Um, But they're all joined by a halo of lower-grade material, which is, um, you know, anywhere from 0.5 up to 1, I guess. And, you know, that gives us that global grade profile. Now, given the metallurgy and what is recovered, this is equivalent to probably a, you know, so we're looking at a a 0.85, 0.9 global grade at a 0.3 cutoff. It's given the met... And the fact that this sticks out of the ground and it's just a big bulk mining exercise is probably equivalent to like a one and a half gram open pit resource in the eastern goldfields of western australia simply because of the metallurgy and and when we start to look at it from an engineering point of view you know there's just some beautiful zones of mineralization where you can get stuck into straight from surface two and a half grams a ton um, to really generate early cash flow so now it's got a lot going for it. It's got a lot of growth in it, and you know we really think we've got our hands on a on a future mine in Tanera, and you know optimistic that there might be two or three future mines at El Zorro. Well, Zeff, thank
1: you very much for that update. I've I've learned a huge amount of a, admittedly a low base um, about your <laughs> deposit, um, but I no, a- thank you. It's been a, r- a real pleasure. Um, hearing about the project.
0: Yeah, likewise, Merlin. It's. Uh, been good to catch
1: up. Good, thank you very much, and I look forward to um, hearing from the company on the uh, the
0: next resource update. That'll be a, a, a highlight to look out for. Yep, certainly will. Thank you.